What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Fireside Giants. I'm your host, Anthony Rivardo, joined by my co-host, Alex Wilson, and Wink Martindale is gone. It's official now. We know that he tried to resign a couple days ago. We got a lot more details about the resignation and the way he went about it. We're, ta- we're going to talk about that and react to that in today's episode, but it's official. He's officially resigned. He and the Giants have agreed to mutually part ways, um, and so now Wink Martindale is free to go coach wherever he wants. I know that there was some conversation about the Giants potentially holding on to his rights, maybe trying to trade him or at least block him from joining certain teams. That's not going to happen. Now, Wink Martindale can go anywhere, including the Eagles, the Cowboys, uh, the Commanders. He can move within the NFC East. So that's a pretty big takeaway from this whole situation. The Giants could be facing a Wink Martindale defense twice next season, which would definitely be an interesting and intriguing storyline. But Wink Martindale, man, the, the way that he left the New York Giants, very interesting situation here. Cursing out Brian Dable, storming out of the room. Apparently, he was kind of running a coop. He had him and a couple of little sidekicks with him, and they were trying to run things without Dable's knowledge. It was a really weird uh, situation. The story broke on the New York Post, and reading through it, I mean, it's eye-opening. You say, man, what is going on inside the New York Giants building? That was my main question that I walked away from that with. But we're going to go ahead and uh, dive into all that, talk about that report and everything else about Wink Martindale. But before we do so, make sure to like if you do enjoy this episode subscribe to the channel if you are new ring the bell so you don't miss an episode comment your thoughts on the topics down below in the comment section if you're listening to apple or spotify please make sure to leave us a five-star review and go ahead and follow us on all of our social media channels at fireside giants but without further ado alex how are you doing today i know you've had a wild day today my friend but how are you feeling about this wink martindale news well it's just getting crazier and crazier i mean last night hearing all the stuff that's coming out like the crazy text message picture i'm sure a lot of you guys saw i was like there's no way that's real and then suddenly I'm like, holy shit, that, that's freaking real. <laughs> I was blown away. And now we sit here and ask ourselves, who's the real kind of aggressor in this scenario? And I think it's transitioned away from Dayball. And as I said in yesterday's episode, Art Stapleton was kind of bringing up the idea that, like, Dayball's the head coach. Like, why is the DC trying to undermine him? Why is the DC think he has more power and control here? Art was right. And now you look at the situation, and Dayball looks like the victim. Um, and we heard a, a couple months ago, you know, the Jay Glazer report comes out and there's, there's friction, there's turmoil. It seemed like Wink Martindale was playing, like they were playing chess with each other behind the scenes, like, you know, kind of planting stories, trying to like let a little bit of information out. It seemed like Dable really wasn't trying to do that until really just the last couple of days. Wink was throwing some stuff into the media where there was friction and Dable was not, you know, treating them properly and there was aggression. And now we come to find out that, you know, there, at least Paul Schwartz, the article this morning from the New York Post, said that the Giants front office, you know, there, were, there was some sort of, like, kind of boys club forming on the defensive side with Wink and his boys, and they thought that he didn't have to answer to Dable. They thought that, he, he you know, he had no power over them. All they had to do was answer to ownership. Really interesting turn of events here because it looks like the defensive side of things became like this you know, separate. There was not a collaboration. It was no longer a collaborative experience for the coaches. And Dable's all about collaboration, apparently. So big, big feud here. And the Giants are, you know, they they wanted to, Dable took the high road in one way. He didn't publicly out Wink Martindale. Instead, he fired the the Wilkins brothers and knew that Wink was going to freak the hell out. There's no way you can convince me, Anthony, I'll get your take on this, that, you know, in my opinion, if you were going to fire the Wilkins bros, 
you were going to bring Wink in and say to him, we're going to fire these guys. We want to do this. You know, before we do anything, we want to get your take on it. You know, what is your reaction going to be? How do you feel about staying? Instead, they fired him and then brought Wink in and told him afterward. That is a move. That is a chess move. That, you know, it, it, out of respect, you, pr I, in my opinion, I think you tell Wink before you fire his right-hand man, it's going to happen. We just want to give you the heads up. How do you want to go about this? If you want to leave amicably, we can make that happen. Instead, Dable just fired his best man and then brought Wink in and was like, hey, buddy, your best friend, he's gone and his brother. What are you going to do about it now? Screams, curses out Brian Dable, slams the door shut. <laughs> and the funniest thing about this whole thing is he flies to Florida. He just gets on a damn plane, gets all his shit and flies south, like flees the freaking scene. That is a crazy to me. And by the way, I know you and I talked to us off the podcast. Hilarious that Wink Martindale wears the same outfit, whether it's game day on the sideline or at the airport getting on the freaking airplane. It's hilarious. Dude has one outfit choice. It's laid out from every single morning, and it's the only thing he wears. It's actually freaking hilarious. Um, but beside the fact, all this new information coming out. How do you feel about this? The move that, you know, do you think it was necessary for them to tell Wink that we're going to fire the Wilkins bros? Or do you think that this was kind of, I think it was a move. I think that this was, this was 4D chess by uh, Dable. You know, a lot of the other beat reporters are saying, like, Dable, like, he played this really well. The optics were really good for him in, in sense that, you know, Wink threw a big fit. Now all these reports are coming out making Wink look like the victim and the bad guy. Or rather, the aggressor, not the victim. And the bad guy. And Dable looks like the victim. And he was trying to keep it all together. The story is completely flipped on its head in 24 hours. Really crazy sequence of events. Like, how are you responding? How do you how are you kind of like perceiving this at this point in time? Listen, it's Brian Dable's coaching staff. He can fire whoever. He can hire whoever. Him firing the Wilkins brothers, he had reason to. It's not like he just fired them for no reason. Like, go look at the stats. Like, take a look at the performance of the outside linebacker group. Those guys were coaching that unit. That unit wasn't performing properly. Like, he fired them with cause. So, I understand Wink Martindale was upset about that. Obviously, Wink Martindale is very close with the Wilkins brothers. Those are his guys. It's his right-hand man that was fired. Um, but I don't believe that Dable owed... Wink Martindale any sort of heads up uh, other than the one that he gave him. He didn't need to ask him permission to fire. Uh, like, think about that. Basically what you're saying, Alex, and I, I get what you're saying, but the, the way I kind of feel about that is you're saying Dable almost had to ask Wink Martindale permission to fire his assistants, and that's not the way it goes, man. Brian Dable is the head coach. He could fire whoever he wants, and those assistants weren't doing their jobs properly. And also, I think that reading through this, I think that Dable knew there was some sort of secret Illuminati here on the defensive side of the ball that was run by Wink Martindale and the Wilkins brothers. I think he knew that they were staging a coup. They were trying to usurp Brian Dable. So what he really did here was, let's get rid of those two, and then let's see what Wink Martindale's role is in this whole usurption and this whole uh, Illuminati being created on the defensive side. And then, obviously... Wink Martindale revealed that he is the secret Wizard of Oz man behind the curtain supervillain that's been causing all the problems in the New York Giants locker room this whole time. So I like the way that Dable handled it. I think he did everything the right way. Again, it's his staff. He can hire and fire whoever he wants. And I think that when you read through this with Martindale potentially or um, reportedly going behind Dable's back all the time, trying to get through to ownership and go over Dable's head this is a guy that can't be here. Like Wink Martindale's kind of a villain for this. This is, you can't make amends in that situation. If Dable knew this was going on, I mean, he kept his cool for the majority of the season. It seems 
he didn't even want to fire Wink Martindale, which I think is incredible. The fact that Wink Martindale was going over Dable's head all the time and, you know, going to ownership and basically undermining the head coach. And Brian Dable still didn't even want to fire him. So because he recognized that Dable's or that Martindale is a good coach. So I think that says a lot about Brian Dable. And I think it says that he did handle the situation properly. He fired those outside linebackers coaches for good reason. And it set off Wink Martindale and he blew up and he did not behave in a professional manner manner is the way that I will describe it. So again, you're asking me how I feel about Brian Dable in this situation. I think he did the right thing, man. I know. I think he did the right thing too. Um, and for what it's worth, I think the whole, we're not firing wink was a total chess move because it, look, this is what happens now by not firing wink Martindale by, cause if they would have said like, Oh, you know, we're not bringing back wink Martindale. Think about what this just did for them. They opened up three million dollars to allocate toward another salary to, to other salaries on the um on the coaching staff. That's good for Matt for ownership. He's like Brian Dable can now look John Mara in the face and say, "Hey, buddy, I just saved you three million dollars. We're gonna go get the best freaking offensive line coach and defensive uh, defensive coordinator, probably at the same cost." Um, so I think it was kind of a genius move by Brian Dable, really playing some good chess moves here by saying we're not firing him. He makes a move that he knows is going to piss Wink off. He publicly outlashes, exposes his entire position behind the scenes, and then has to resign and give up $3 million. I mean, I'm just speculating. Obviously, this is this is just pure, pure, pure speculation, but I'm kind of looking at the tea leaves and saying, like, this was all, like, they orchestrated this, man. Like, they, why wouldn't they just fired him? If they knew he was going to go, why wouldn't they just let him go? They instead they fired his right-hand man knowing he was going to freak out because they know Wink Martindale, and they know that they he loves those guys. He knows those are his boys. Brought him from Baltimore. I think this was a move to set him off, and it worked perfectly because now he's gone. You know, they, they uh, he's allowed to sign anywhere else, and the Giants saved $3 million. They can now allocate to more, um, you know, positions on the staff. So just my little take there. But interesting thing I just saw, um, Anthony, on Twitter, you know who just tweeted, Welp, time to start a podcast. Yes, I'm the right person with all the right information. See you soon. Kayvon Thibodeau. Kayvon Thibodeau just tweeted that. So really interesting things coming out now. I don't think this is the right thing for Kayvon to do. I think he should just stay quiet and not try to voice his opinion on this matter. This is not his business. But, I, I mean, the fact that he, he left some laughing faces in there, I kind of feel like he's happy about this. You know, what are you thinking? I, I think he's happy about it. I think that the players probably wanted Wink Martindale out because when you kind of think back on it, um, the Xavier McKinney situation, a lot of Giants fans were very critical of Xavier McKinney for saying Wink Martindale doesn't listen. Uh, that's essentially what McKinney was trying to say when he said uh, a lot of things that we say to, you know, some of the leaders in the, in the coaching staff. It just kind of doesn't get reciprocated. I think that McKinney was trying to say the players don't like Wink Martindale. Like, nobody liked that guy. That's the, my takeaway now from this whole situation. Uh, so, Kayvon Thibodeau with the laughing faces, I, again, think it's probably him saying... We didn't like that guy. We're glad that this abrasive, mean man is gone. And I will just say, Kayvon Thibodeau making a podcast and and talking about the situation, please don't. That is such a bad idea. Kayvon, I mean, listen, he's always scrutinized. He's always under a microscope. Like, every single day, fans, reporters, they're finding a new reason to criticize Kayvon Thibodeau. If he airs all that dirty laundry for the New York Giants organization on a podcast... It is like the worst thing possible for him. It's just not going to end well. It's going to get so ugly. So hopefully he changes his mind on the podcast idea or at least chooses a different topic and doesn't talk about the Wink Martindale situation in, in too much depth. Um, but listen, 
Martindale's gone, and I think that the players are going to be happy for it. Now, I, I've been we've been kind of bouncing ideas to each other, Alex, on what this defense should look like going forward, and we've talked about how this Wink Martindale defense did not suit the strengths of this team, and it didn't maximize the potential of a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau. So I think that Thibodeau, you know, is probably relieved now that he's going to have a new defense uh, to get into. And I think one thing for Kayvon Thibodeau, I don't think he very much likes being an outside linebacker. I think he wants to be a defensive end. If you go watch his time at Oregon, yes, he did play some linebacker, so the Giants knew they could transition him back into the 3-4 defense, but he really thrived in the 4-3 defense with his hand in the dirt, and I think that's something going forward that Kayvon's probably hoping for, um, and I think that overall, we feel a way about Kayvon Thibodeau. We feel like he's been misused and poorly developed. Like We think that it's been improper usage of that talent from the Giants defense, right? I'm sure Kayvon Thibodeau feels the exact same way. So he's probably relieved by this whole situation. The laughing faces is probably like, oh my God, I'm, I'm about to eat now. Like I'm about to become what I'm supposed to be. I have these shackles taken off. Like I'm going to go rush the quarterback and become the superstar that I know I could be. So I'm excited for Kayvon Thibodeau. I'm excited for um, all these players. I think that this is a pretty big deal for these New York Giants defenders. And we'll see what the new scheme ends up looking like. If it's Leslie Frazier, if they do go after him for defensive coordinator, you're talking a 4-3 cover two scheme. If you're talking about Patrick Graham, um, I know that's another name that's kind of been thrown out there. Uh, and Antonio Pierce, by the way, would probably be the similar playbook to Patrick Graham. That's another 3-4 attacking disguise um, uh, cover three scheme. So that would be very similar to Martindale in many ways. So it'll be interesting which route the Giants take, but I would like to see them maximize the potential of Kayvon Thibodeau first and foremost. And I think that happens by putting his hand in the dirt and moving to a 4-3 defense. I'm kind of curious. I know it's we're kind of getting a little off topic now talking about the defensive schemes here, Alex, but I'm curious what you think about that and what you kind of want this defense to look like going forward and maybe what kind of scheme or different kind of nuances to the defense you want to see that might maximize the strength of some of these Giants players. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, right off the bat, I can tell you, you know, my opinion, as I said yesterday, the Giants should go out and find themselves a DC, a coach that's going to maximize their young pass rushers. You've invested a fifth overall pick um, in Kayvon Thibodeau. Aziz Ojolari is one of the best pure pass rushers on this team. And we haven't even, like, we didn't see anything from him this year. He disappeared. That is un, that is unbelievable. You know what I mean? You see that potential, and then you quell it. And, and, and for that to happen... After all the resources we've allocated toward that position, it's it's unprecedented. And, and you know the reality is, the Giants are only going to go as far as the both sides of the trenches: the pass rush, run stopping, and obviously the offensive line. Um, with that being said, they need to bring in someone, and this is kind of like. Uh, why I like Antonio Pierce. He comes from a defense that he played in an, an elite level that prioritizes your pass rushers winning their battles, you know, winning their 1v1 battles. Kayvon Thibodeau had 84 snaps in coverage this past season. You will never see on paper Michael Strahan in fucking coverage. I'm, I'm sorry, but that's that's the truth. You ever, you ever go, if you're going to look at stats, you're going to see Michael Strahan in coverage. Sounds like a dumb thing to do, wouldn't you say? OCU Minora, I don't think we should put him in coverage, right? Justin Tuck, JPP, no. Kayvon Thibodeau should be rusting the damn passer, not dropping into freaking coverage to disguise looks because you're blitzing your free safeties. You know what I mean? And look, when it works, it works. When it doesn't, it doesn't. But the truth is simple. 
You draft Kayvon Thibodeau to rush the passer, get better as an individual pass rusher, beat top left tackles in football. That is what you drafted him to do. The fact that he is not doing that is concerning. That's why they fired, um, you know, the, the Wilkins bros. And obviously, I think they did it in a way that sparked that kind of rage from Wink Martindale and exposed his position in this entire equation. Um, you know, I could be wrong. Again, this is just my take on it. Um, obviously, you guys are more than welcome to object against that and have your own opinions. It's just, you know, this is just the Giants we're talking about here. It's fun to talk about and have your narratives. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, looking at what this defense needs – we have a couple really strong pieces. Dexter Lawrence is going to be a superstar no matter what you, what scheme you put him in because no one's going to change his role, right? Soak up blockers, dominate, rush the passer. That is his that is his job. Any defensive coordinator that comes in here and has to change that is out of their freaking mind. So whoever comes in here is keeping Dexter Lawrence in the same exact role, in my opinion. Um, you, you know, what are so, your thoughts? Yeah, so I was going to say to that, I think that's going to be a barrier to the Giants with some defensive coordinators and the schemes that they want to run because what the Giants did under Wink Martindale they moved Dexter Lawrence to the nose tackle position. In the past, he was playing kind of a defensive end in a 3-4. They moved him over the center. That was a big deal. So moving to a 4-3 defense potentially might not be an option because they don't want to move Dexter Lawrence away from that nose tackle spot. There's not really a traditional nose tackle. The, the two interior defenders uh, in a 4-3 defense are lining up pretty much over the guard. He lines up directly over the center, and that's a big difference. So that I, I'm glad that you brought that up with Dexter Lawrence whatever coach they bring in is going to have to be cognizant of the fact that Dexter Lawrence was a player before he started playing nose tackle and he was a different player after he started playing nose tackle so specifically Dexter Lawrence needs to remain needs to remain in that nose tackle spot lined up at the zero over the center um, and I think that's going to be a main priority for the Giants as they look for new defensive coordinators finding somebody who knows how to maximize um, Dexter Lawrence and understands what a difference it made to line him up over the center uh, even take taking that and expanding on it Alex I'm not sure if you saw today the NFLPA released their second annual uh, all-pro team and Dexter Lawrence was the Giants uh, member on there and they listed him as nose tackle that's not normal they created nose tackle as an all-pro position for Dexter Lawrence because he's so damn good I thought that was really cool because usually you'll just see defensive lineman or interior defender, but this is the NFLPA, so it's um, voted on by the players, and I guess that they all just decided we're creating a nose tackle spot and we're putting Dexter Lawrence there, and I really do think that that only exists because of how good Dexter Lawrence is, so I think that's pretty cool, but kind of what, now that I said that, Alex, and what is your idea on that, like the uh, kind of the focus on making sure that Dexter Lawrence isn't moved off that nose tackle spot, because I know you know um, the seasons prior to playing nose tackle, and then these past two seasons where he's been lined up over the center, we've just seen a completely different version of Dexter Lawrence. Well, this is where the collaborati- collaboration comes into play that Brian Dable so you know happily and happily loves and what many are reporting now is that you bring in a DC that's going to be a collaborative person. You bring in someone who says, hey, Andre Patterson, what makes Dexter Lawrence so great? Where does he need to be to maximize his skill set? And you say, okay, like that's what we're going to do then. You go to Jerome Henderson and say, what is Deontay Banks' strengths? Where does he thrive? We're going to do that then. You go to Kayvon Thibodeau. You know, you gotta, obviously, you're going to have to hire a new defensive end coach now. Um, but you go to Kayvon Thibodeau and say, hey, man, what happened last year that you were so inefficient at sometimes? Where do you want to be? How do, you, how do we get you the maximum out of you? And you ask Kayvon Thibodeau how to do that. Because apparently he has thoughts. You know, we're seeing it on Twitter. He just tweeted it out. The guy has thoughts. He has the information. Um, who knows what that is? 
but it certainly seems like like he doesn't tweet that unless he's got some juicy juicy giblets of freaking news to offer. He's never going to tell us. He's never going to tell us what it is. I don't think he's actually going to go on a podcast and say anything personally. Um, the Giants won't let him do it. Uh, but clearly, he has some nuggets there. And I do think that if you're the if you're the Giants and you look at another coach. You bring in a coach that's going to maximize that skill set that's in alignment with what Kayvon Thibodeau needs. Um, do they transition him to a defensive end role? Do they use him as an outside linebacker but stop putting him in damn coverage? Like, you're, like What are you getting out of putting Kayvon Thibodeau in coverage? You need your edge rushers to win 1v1 battles. God, if, if, if Shanahan ever put Bosa in coverage, I think he would have a freaking stroke. You know, if you saw them put TJ Watt in coverage... He, they would, I mean, it would be maybe like a couple snaps here and there every now and then, but 84 in a season, in a season, no freaking way. You know, there's no way. Khalil Mack, help me God if you ever saw Khalil Mack going into coverage more than 10 snaps in a season. 84 is unprecedented. Kayvon Thibodeau needs a coach that that's going to maximize his talent and let him build that momentum. Uh, being a pass rusher is a momentous job. You need to set things up for later in games. When you're being dropped into coverage eight, nine snaps a game, you know what I mean? Like eventually you're going to lose that momentum. You're, you're not you're not able to set up things. You know you're you're setting up. You're consuming blocks so that the the, the cornerbacks can blitz off the edge or the you know linebackers. And look, I think that having heavy blitz packages is certainly a good thing. Um, but I think what we saw with the Giants and Wink Martindale, we know this about Wink Martindale, is that it holds your edge rushers back from succeeding. It has his entire career. So if I'm the Giants, I'm bringing in a DC that's going to maximize your edge presence. And I'm thinking about going into free agency and signing one of those big-time edge rushers that are going to be available. Bryce Huff, Danielle Hunter. There's a, so much freaking talent to work with in this free agency class. If the Giants don't walk away with somebody that's halfway decent, if not very good, that can help support that defense... It's gonna be a it's gonna be a, a bad thing, and, and I think that's why I'm such in support of drafting a quarterback because you're able to get out of that Daniel Jones contract and you have a lot of money to spend in the future, and it supports the idea of going out and getting a star pass rusher. It supports the idea of going out and getting an offensive lineman, and it supports the idea of getting a WR one if you can't draft one. You know, you have a lot of flexibility now. That's really where my WR my Q, I mean, aside from I think that a QB one another quarterback might be better than Daniel Jones. I think the financial flexibility here is astronomical, and you can get proven talent, and you can get guys that we are familiar with, right? I mean, think about, for example, Andre Patterson. He helped develop Daniel Hunter. Imagine bringing him to the Giants. The guy would be a freaking tank alongside Kayvon Thibodeau. And for what it's worth, it would take a lot of pressure off of Kayvon to be that guy. He could finally just be himself instead of having to be the guy everyone's expecting to break out. And I think you could see that breakout happen with the pressure, the slack off his shoulders a little bit. So just a thought. I'm just kind of throwing ideas out there, spitballing. Um, but the Giants have an opportunity to, to flip the script here and change things. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this defensive coordinator position kind of is is filled. Antonio Pierce just got another job request. I think maybe was it from the Titans? Maybe. Um, yeah. So you know he's he's going to be doing a lot of head coaching interviews. So if those mm -hmm. don't work out, he'll have to settle for something else. I think the DC job for the Giants would be perfect if he doesn't get one of those jobs. Yeah, if he doesn't get a head coaching job, I think it makes so much sense for him to come back to Big Blue and start coaching the defense for the New York Giants. But the fact that he got an interview with the Tennessee Titans and he's, of course, going to be interviewing for the Las Vegas Raiders job and is going to be in the mix for that one. I think Antonio Pierce might land the head coaching job. I think the Raiders should keep him full time as their head coach, and I think there's a good chance they do. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but one, one of the things that I do want to mention um, or kind of just touch on that you mentioned was Kayvon Thibodeau dropping into coverage, all that kind of stuff. And again, that's based on the scheme. The Giants ran a 3-4 scheme, which had 
um, they're those edge rushers are linebackers, you know, so Kayvon's going to drop into coverage here and there. It's going to happen when he's playing outside linebacker. He's not playing defensive end. So it kind of sounds to me, Alex, like you're leaning towards maybe moving into a 4-3 front and having Kayvon Thibodeau with his hand in the dirt because then he'll never be dropping into coverage. He'll be a defensive end. He'll just be going after the tackle all game long. And I think that that would benefit Kayvon like a lot to play in a defensive scheme like that. But that's where I'm going to kind of ask you this question, though, Alex. So moving into a 4-3 defense would probably move Dexter Lawrence off of that nose tackle spot and have him playing, um, you know, kind of over the guard rather than over the center. But it would have Kayvon Thibodeau hand in his dirt playing defensive end rushing the quarterback every single snap. Is that the sacrifice that you're willing to make? Like, do you think that that's an okay trade-off there to move Dexter Lawrence over? He's still going to be dominant for sure playing over the guard rather than over the center. But I know we were just talking about the Giants need to find a defensive coordinator that understands Dexter Lawrence's strengths, keeps him in that nose tackle spot. But are you willing to maybe move Dexter Lawrence over in order to accommodate Kayvon Thibodeau, get his hand in the dirt, play him on a 4-3 defensive end role as an edge rusher? I'm just kind of curious at that hypothetical and what you think about it. I mean, look, the, the truth is, is that if, if Dexter Lawrence says to the coaching staff, look, I can help do this if it's going to maximize everybody else and we're going to be a better team. Like like you said, Dexter Lawrence is going to dominate wherever you put him. Um, if they can, if in the process that helps, you know, advance Kayvon Thibodeau and whoever else is alongside him, I don't see why not. I mean, at the very least, you try it. Like, what, what's the harm? You know what I mean? Like, you try it for a game or two, see if it works. If it doesn't, you move Dexter Lawrence back inside and you go about, you revert back to uh, what works for him. Um, I think that's part of what is getting the most out of special talents. That's what you pay Dexter Lawrence for, to dominate wherever you put him. Um, and for what it's worth, dude, I think that contract is going to look like an absolute steal in two years. And honestly, it already does. That Dexter Lawrence deal looks like a steal. He's going to be, he may be one of the best, if not the best defensive player in the game um, at some point in the next couple of years. I think he's already top five for sure um you don't find interior presence like that very often like aaron donald level production um obviously donald's done it for like eight nine years but dexter lawrence has that capability like he's got that talent too um I'm excited to see how this develops. But yes, like I think that if you if you see an opportunity to maximize Kayvon Thibodeau by using Dexter Lawrence dominance, why not give it a shot? I'm in agreement with you on that. I, I think that it'll be interesting to see how they set it up again. 4-3-3-4. It, it'll be dependent on which coordinator they pick. For what it's worth, you have um, those two in-house candidates that I keep mentioning. Andre Patterson, defensive line coach. Jerome Henderson, defensive backs coach. Both of those guys have co-coordinator experience in the past. Maybe they could just run the defense together as co-coordinators. I think that's a strong option for the Giants. And both of them have experience in 4-3 and 3-4 defenses. So they can kind of make this whatever they want it to be they can keep the martindale playbook and maybe just make some changes to it or they could really just create their own defense um, defensive scheme and since they know all the personnel and all the players in that locker room already they could really build a defensive scheme around those players in particular so i think that's an interesting idea rather than hiring somebody who's bringing in a new playbook um, that's completely different than what the giants have it, I think it makes sense. You, you get those guys in-house, they're your co-coordinators, and they just build a playbook around the players that they already know are in the building. I think that could be a really interesting concept for the New York Giants and probably a main selling point for promoting within um, within the locker room or within the organization already. So, But there's a lot of options out there. Obviously, we've, we've discussed quite a few. I know Matt Patricia is a name that I mentioned that a lot of fans weren't happy with in yesterday's episode. Wasn't saying that I wanted him. We were both saying that we don't want Matt Patricia, but he's been on every short list because he does 
have connections to Brian Dable, so it's a name to keep an eye on. Um, of course, Leslie Frazier, who I'm very high on. That is the number one target for me to replace Wink Martindale. I like his 4-3 cover 2 defensive scheme. It makes a lot of sense for what the, the personnel that the New York Giants have, and also he's just very experienced. But Leslie Frazier just got a head coaching interview. So is he going to get a head coaching job? Possibly. Maybe he won't even be an option for the Giants at defensive coordinator. I'm curious to see who they start interviewing, though, because they've already conducted one coaching interview for the offensive line coach position. I'm curious to see if they have any more uh, by the end of the week. And if, when they start calling in some defensive coordinator uh, interviews, I think it's going to be something to keep a close eye on. But really, man, before we wrap, Alex... This was some situation here, and so I kind of want to ask you a big question to end it. Why does stuff like this keep happening to the New York Giants? Like, I know you don't have the answer to that. Nobody does, but why does this keep happening? Um, oh, my God. This is the answer that's going to get me in trouble. Um, oh, God. <laughs> no, I don't even want to go into why I think this is happening, but you want to know really what it is. It's just the, the Giants are a bad team. You know what I mean? Like bad yeah. teams see turnover, um, bad teams fail, bad teams get coaches fired. Um, it, it just is what it is. And listen, the Giants have been going through a very interesting cycle, Anthony. And and what I've noticed, and I think it's become a trend. They look really, really promising in the first year of a new head coaching uh, situation. Whether it was Shermer with Daniel Jones as a rookie, whether it was uh, Joe Judge in his first year, and we were like, what the hell? And then last year we were Brian Dable. It all looked like we were trending in the right direction, and then year two came around, and it all flopped. Now, we have to ask ourselves, why did that happen? And I think that I know one reason why it happened. I think that the offenses in all of our in all of those things – this is not the only reason. There's a lot of reasons, by the way. This is just one thing that I have noticed. Our offense in the first year of a new head coach, and we've gone with multiple – offense first coaches right Shermer and Dable are offense first Joe Judge is a special teams guy uh, obviously brought in Jason Garrett I think that what we saw in those first year of the of the new coach was a new wrinkle right they brought in something new teams seems hadn't seen it before right with Shermer he had kind of a, a he brought in like a new a newer offense that was a little bit more downfield and it wasn't really what the Giants were doing after Eli and then with Dable last year they covered it up with a lot of play action they covered up a lot of weaknesses on the offensive line um, and the truth is is that teams figured us out you know what I mean they took it took one year and then teams figured out our weaknesses and then they beat the crap out of us because they knew we were going to run back the exact same thing but you want to know what the one consistent thing throughout this whole process has been the worst offensive line in football, every single year. How do you ever expect to watch your quarterback develop? How do you ever expect to keep them healthy, um, establish a running game, establish a decent defense when your offense can't stay on the field? Now, yes, I think that we have to reinforce the offensive line. Kevin Zeitler is my guy. That's the one. That's the guy I want to go get. He's not going to cost a whole lot. He's a veteran. He's above average, and he's a freaking leader, and he knows what it takes to play in New York, and he played well here for what it's worth. That was one of the worst moves Gettleman made. The offensive line has been the epitome of our downfall. Until we fix that, we're going to keep seeing the same cycle, in my opinion. Um, but again, like at this point, we've already ruined Daniel Jones. There's no, there's no hope for him getting back to where he was. He's gotten injured because of our offensive line. Both of his neck injuries are because he took hits from his blind side. Um, you know, obviously that's problematic. And it was when Andrew Thomas was out, so it, it, it's unlucky. But at the same time, Daniel Jones has developed a lot of bad habits, and I think we need to hit the reset button. Not because I think that. 
well, yeah, I think that a new quarterback would be better than Daniel Jones, but I think we need to hit the reset button because we need to reset the primary, like, kind of face of this organization right now. I think we need to turn a page. I think we need to stop this trend. I think we need to start stop this cycle of what's happening. We need to go out and find another quarterback and, and you know, get a better offensive line coach and, and reset the whole offensive side of things. Because in my opinion, if we run it back with Daniel Jones next year and we know his issues with the offensive line struggling and that he's severely limited with a bad offensive line, and I don't think our offensive line is going to be like significantly better next year. Maybe we get to average at best. I don't know if Daniel Jones is going to succeed in that. And then we have to pay him 50 mil after that. Look, I'm not going to go down the Daniel Jones rabbit hole, but I just think it's, it's best for everybody to hit reset in a lot of ways. But the first thing is that you have to fix the offensive line. That's been the consistent negative every single season. Until that is solved, we're going to keep seeing this Giants team flounder, and we're going to keep seeing them fail, and we're going to keep seeing this this coaching staff turn over because the offense can't stay on the football field, and ultimately failure gets people fired, and success, people stay. Like That's just, just how it goes across the NFL. Yeah, I, I think you make a lot of good points there about the offensive line. The offensive line has been the Giants' Achilles heel, their kryptonite. I mean, it's what's caused this team to fall apart year in and year out. I was more just asking, like, generally, though, why do circus shows keep happening here in New York? Like, why does, you know, like, Mark Colombo beating the brakes off of Joe Judge, um, <laughs> Wink Martindale screaming at Brian Dable and storming out, like, all the craziness. It's just so crazy in this organization. I don't know what it is, like organization culture i i don't know it's just so crazy the craziness the craziness comes from the personalities that they're hiring right they brought wink martindale in here and they knew he was a personality he's abrasive you know that's his that's his he's a very good and think about like all the beat reporters yesterday were saying the same thing um this guy is really good handling the media like he knows how to get you on his good side he'll give you the little nuggets he'll give you the little pieces of information that make you happy um as a, as a reporter, but the truth is, is that I think the Giants would have been fine, and, and Dable and Wink would have been totally fine if they were winning football games. Keep in mind, this entire downfall, this all this tension happened. You remember when this happened? When the Giants were on a five game losing streak. You know what I mean? That's when it all started to fall apart, and the locker room started to fall apart. So, you know, right back to my original point: failure breeds failure. Failure breeds firings. It's the chaos. Chaos. It's just losing breeds chaos, and. The truth is the Giants are losers, man. They're, they're a losing team most seasons. Um, and, and look, I think a couple of individuals there are winners. Bobby Okereke is a freaking winner. I think McKinney, the way he bounced back this year, a freaking winner. Saquon, he's a winner. You know, I think Deontay Banks, winner. There are some winners on this roster. And there's a lot of guys I haven't mentioned, so I'm not leaving out them. I'm just not listing them. But there are a lot of losers on this on this team that ultimately, you know, it, it's just not enough. It's not enough. And and I blame the coaching a lot more than I do the players sometimes because I think that we have plenty of talent to win football games, but I think our coaches sometimes lack leadership. Um, I know Bobby Johnson was a good friend of Brian Dable, and Brian Dable took the you know took it to the chin and had to fire his good friend because he thought it was in the best interest of the team. Bobby Johnson was not helping this team win. You know what I mean? And like that's unfortunate. Andre Patterson, dude's a winner. Jerome Henderson, dude's a freaking winner. I think we have a lot of winners on this team. Um, but at the same time, you have to you have to get rid of the losing the losing pieces, the pieces that aren't helping you win. And the Giants just did a lot of that over the last couple of days. Um, they did a lot of firing, and because they were helping them lose and not win football games, bad off bad bad pass rush, bad offensive line, bad this, bad that. They got rid of the losing pieces, man. They, they, of course, it was in the chaos of getting rid of abrasive personalities like Wink. Unfortunately, look like this, um, and it's unfortunate. But 
you know, Wink had been playing games with Dable. Clearly, Dable didn't like it. Dable played chess better than Wink in this scenario, in my opinion. And he and he and he he put together a move that ultimately exposed Wink's entire position. Everyone heard him cursing on his way out, and that was that. You know what I mean? Like, Dable played this excellent, man. I gotta say, like from my perspective, you guys may disagree. Dable played this really freaking well and made him look like the good guy at the end of the day. And ultimately, that's what he's supposed to be. He's the head coach. The fact that Wink was trying to undermine him, the fact that Wink was going behind the scenes and trying to create this boys club, not collaborating with the head coach, that is problematic. That is that is a really bad variable. Well, now we're all just learning about this now that all these details are coming out. You cannot have that in, a, in an organization that is trying to pride itself on working together and breeding success. If you have people working against each other, you're going to lose football games, man. I mean, just think about what the Eagles are going through right now. Their whole team is falling apart, and you, we know that there's stuff going on behind the scenes there. There's a lot of reports coming out about it. You know, you're seeing what internal tension does. It creates losing, um, and the Giants just saw that. So I, I'm glad they got rid of the losing pieces, and hopefully they bring in some winning ones. So are you going to list the, the losers like you listed the winners? or No? Um, I, I'd, I'd rather not. <laughs> <laughs> I think you guys can get the picture of who the losing pieces are. Yeah, I think we'll figure it out if we, we think critically about it. But I, I agree with you. Like There is a losing culture for the New York Giants. One thing that I will mention, though, or I respond to that you said, um, you mentioned how we've seen the continuous cycle of second-year flops from New York Giants head coaches, which is true. We have seen that. I just personally, and I know that I'm probably in the minority opinion here, I don't view this season as a second-year flop for Brian Dable. I didn't feel that way. I, I thought that it got really ugly in a portion of the season. The offense was really bad. There was a lot of problems. But overall, he rallied the team. They fought hard. It ended on a high note for him. And it ended. the season ended with him having full command of the locker room, clearly having his players playing for him. Like this season ended, the second season for Brian Dable ended with on on a positive note with the with the players and the fans still behind him, still having his back. And you can't say that about Joe Judge. Everybody turned on Joe Judge in that second season and that's why he got fired. Can't say that about Pat Shermer. People turned on him and then he got fired. Brian Dable, they haven't turned on him. You know, I, I don't view this a six win season that was three plays away from being a nine win season and a playoff season. I don't think it was an absolute flop. Is it what we wanted it to be? Absolutely not. The Giants failed to meet their expectations. They did too much losing this year. You're right. But for me personally, I thought Brian Dable, he wasn't perfect, but he is still a second year head coach and he has a lot to work out and he has a lot to fix and to learn and uh, improve on. But I, I think that Brian Dable is, um, he he gets a he gets a check mark in my books. I thought he did a solid job this year, and I don't, I don't consider this a year two flop, despite how disappointing uh, the season was in total. I'm not necessarily disappointed with Brian Dable. Sure, a little bit, like I'm a little bit disappointed, but overall, he ended the year on a positive note. I thought he turned in a pretty good year in terms of keeping the locker room together, and now we know even more that he had a lot that he was dealing with behind the scenes that we weren't privy to that information. He was basically dealing with civil war in his locker room, and he still managed to fight, rally the troops, and bring the Giants to a six-win season when it really easily could have been like a three-win season. So I, I think um, overall, I'm I'm positive on Brian Dable. I'm feeling good about the, the way he handled the situation, this current situation, the Wink Martindale situation, and really the overall season the last 
uh, year has been a tough one for Dable, but I thought he handled it well. So it's going to be interesting who the Giants hire at D.C., who they hire at offensive line coach. Of course, we're going to keep updating you guys on all of that and everything else regarding the New York Giants right here on Fireside Giants. So make sure to leave a like if you did enjoy this episode. Subscribe to the channel if you are new. Ring the bell so you don't miss an episode. And comment your thoughts on the topics down below in the comment section. If you're listening to Apple or Spotify, please make sure to leave us a five-star review. And go ahead and follow us on all of our social media channels at Fireside Giants. But without further ado, we'll catch you all in the next one. Have a good one. And let's go Giants.